Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday, our Every Other Thursday podcast. How about that? This is episode number 44 of Every Other Thursday, and we're recording it the week of May 26, 2022. I'm Dave. I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And like always, I got Greg and Jay with me. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. Fine. It's a uh, crazy week. Everybody's just back from uh, the restaurant show in Chicago, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. No guests. It's all us, wall-to-wall, the gang of three. How about that? Super. Looking forward to it. You guys don't have any opinions at all, do you? No, I'm, I'm I not. Gave I'm not. <laughs> you gave them up for Lent. You gave them up for Lent. There you go. That's cool. I think we're full of opinions, and uh, we're going to give them today, unvarnished as always, and that's, that's always a good thing. But before we get into all that, you know we've got to do the commercial part, and this week's episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now with that, let's get into it. Okay, guys, let's get started. And what I what I want to do is in the first segment, I want to talk about just in general what your take was, what you saw, what you know, what you saw as you walk. Because we, we all went around. Jay, I, I know you were probably anchored to the booth a little bit more than the uh, than Greg and I were, but I did get over to the Lakeside uh, exhibit. I, I think Greg, you were over there quite a bit, right? Yes. Yeah. So I want us to know just generally what we saw, and then secondly, and early in the this first segment, I want to talk about what impressed you. And in the back half, I want to hear about some disappointments and then maybe a little bit about where we where we think it went. So first and foremost, Greg, you were the guy wandering around more than uh, of any more of the three of us. You were the wandering around most. What did you see? Well, I, I've given that a lot of thought because I go back 31 years with the show. And I don't think I, I think I missed one or two in those 31 in 31 years. That's when I was working overseas. And as I've mentioned before, I was VP of sales and marketing for this show. So I'm looking at it with a with a pretty critical a pretty critical eye, but I'm looking at really big picture. I remember 31, 32 years ago, the show what I would describe it as is more of a chef's show, and now it's more of a cook's show. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. It's just that the industry has changed and the focus has changed. Back in the 80s. You'd see chefs walking around in their white coats and and toques, and they'd be making sauces and gravies and showing people how to do that type of thing. And now it's much more of a of a a, a show for chains and non-independents. So it's more like uh, a, a people showing people how efficiencies, how to assemble that type of thing so you know just the nature of the show has changed and then on top of that you t- you, you you roll up all the things that have happened to the industry and so the show for the first time since 1919 was not held it was even held during world war ii because of the pandemic we had a two-year hiatus and the, and the show has gone through some ownership changes 
so you can, you know, so there's a lot going on, a lot going on there. I think that the focus has now much more changed to efficiencies, how to get things done, how to save more about how to save money, cut costs, cut corners. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that it's, it's, a, it's a much different show than it used to be. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Uh, I walked around, particularly in the South Building. I didn't, as I said, I didn't spend too much time over Lakeside. I did get over there and I uh, didn't get too deep into it, but it seemed a little bit the same too, over there. But in this, in, particularly in, in the South Building, I didn't see it as much in North. But in the South Building, for instance, uh, uh, you see these things where the aisles seem just, it might have been my imagination, seemed just a little wider, meaning... The space, you know, it's a way to hide that we didn't sell them as much space or something. And then when you went, if you got all the way down to the back end, almost to Indiana, for God's sakes, in the South Building, they had the curtains pulled back up from the wall. Now, they've always done that. This time, it seemed like it was, there was a lot of empty space behind that back curtain. Back during my tenure, I I was on my watch. We uh, sold the show out for two consecutive years. Wow. And when I say sold out, we... We had to go to the fire marshal to figure out how to put more booths in this place. And in those days, you know, that's gone. That was, that's ancient history. And you're right. They have pulled the perimeters in. They've made the aisles bigger. There's some, there's some like, rest area spaces in between. I, I, I don't fault them for that. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to make the best of the experience for everyone. But it is what it is. Yeah, the, in the South Building, they also put that educational footprint right there in the center of it and mm-hmm. i don't know how many people that would see they put seating in there and by the to, to their credit it seemed like it worked out well because every time I, w- I was by it it seemed mostly full it's where they had the you know the panel speakers and all that jay over right over by your booth you and you were in the rack stozel solo flatware booth but right o- they also did something interesting i i think i can't i won't know Shouldn't know, probably. But you had some first-time exhibitors there with some really big footprints. And some of those people, I mean, beyond what they normally should have had. And I'm wondering if somebody didn't pull out and they made a heck of the show, made a heck of a deal to take that big space, a one-time kind of deal to fill it up. Well, I, I thought there was a lot less food there also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. Yeah. Anywhere near it. Nothing against Portland porcelain, but... Their footprint was way outsized, and that that business I think was established. Really, I mean, they got a pretty good product. It's interesting, and God bless them if they if they walked in and paid full freight for that whole space. That's a hell of a commitment. But it just seemed like it was oversized and larger, much larger than I would have expected from a first time exhibitor. Back in my day, we didn't discount. We didn't make. We didn't cut deals. And I, you were I, tough. I, you were tough sales guy. Right, right, right. And but we didn't have to. So, yeah. but now I don't under, you know, under these ownership changes, I don't know what exactly is going yeah. on now. Yeah. Jay, your thoughts about what you saw. If the customer, if the customers have time to react, they probably can make a good last minute deal, but that's pretty tough to do. You know, I, I, I thought the show, I thought the show had, I, I mean, from a traffic standpoint, well, yeah, we were crazy busy one day, but I it, been walking around. It just seemed, you see people talking. It seemed like, I mean, a lot of people that came into the Rack Stolzel Solo would spend a lot of time there. And, and I, you know, I just think that they were probably more serious people, less tight. I mean, everybody that goes there is looking for something, I guess, a little bit. But years ago, there was a lot of tie kickers, with, tire kickers where people just came in 
walked around and walk around. And yeah, you know, you'd see it. Like I didn't see any students this time. I don't know if you guys did. Remember how the whole the students would come in and mask? I didn't see any. I mean, really? I didn't see any of the culinary. I didn't, I didn't think about that. That's a good point. Yeah, and then you know, a lot less food. But I, I but I saw some people that I thought their booths were a little bit smaller. I think the people that had booths there, other than a couple that you're talking about, where they some of those that were overly large also didn't have a very impressive look at all. Yep, yep, and I'd they, agree with that. I thought everybody that was there, for the most part, had pretty nice, pretty nice booths. I mean, all the people we know and look for, you know, Mepra had a great new booth that was kind of neat looking, and uh, I like you say though, I didn't get out as much as you guys did, so that's about you know. I don't think it was as well attended, but I think it was well attended in the quality of the people. Well, there, to me, to me too, and almost to to well, I, I would say to an exhibitor, the exhibitors were pumped. They were glad to be there. They were reconnecting with hopefully their target audience and some of their existing customers. But mostly they were, I thought the enthusiasm from the exhibitors was maybe the best I've seen just overall. Yeah, I think from customers too. I think the same thing. Customers, yes. Customers. Yeah. But I thought exhibitors did a great job of, even exhibitors who didn't have a lot of new products to talk about, they really, they, they were enthusiastic in, in whatever they were, they, whatever they were doing. And even if there were people I didn't know or an exhibitor, I, I, Jay, you and I focus mostly on the tabletop end. I, I give you that. But, but I think the exhibitors, generally speaking, particularly in tabletop, brought their A game and that's really good. There are a few exceptions, there are a few exceptions, but not many. I think that, you know, obviously, I the both the numbers were down for both exhibitors and attendees, but those that are were there were genuinely glad to be there. You know, let's get things rolling again after a two year hiatus. Yeah, and yeah. so and so much has changed. It's interesting because, you know, I was always fighting the uh, the 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 pressures where people were constantly saying the show costs so much money to attend or and definitely to exhibit why can't we have the show every two years and we as an organization push back on that well here the show hasn't happened for two years and it's interesting to see as an experiment what you know what was the outcome and i think it was i think it was fairly I think it was fairly positive. The the old you never know what you had until it's gone kind of uh, thing, exactly. and when it's gone, you go, "Oh, please, have a show, have a yes. show." Exactly. If, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you do every year or every other year? I'll give you my opinion. I'd do it every other year. Well, I do it every year. I think that there's I think there's a big value in the, in the show in NRA show type 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 exhibit. You know. And the only thing I would say about that. In, I mean, from a manufacturer's standpoint, I'm working from a factory, and I'm not speaking for the factory, but every year it doesn't give you much time to create new new stuff and put much thought into the new stuff, unless unless you've got a marketing team and product development people around the world, and they're working out 15 months to 24 months ahead of, ahead of everything anyway. How the heck do you do it? I mean, in reality, if you have it every year, you'd have to have your new products done by July, of this, July August of this coming year. You're going to have nothing to show, nothing to show that's new. You can make lots of arguments for the, you know, for the purpose of the show. And, you know, one is, is just efficiencies. So if you can get enough uh, attendees there, it keeps you from having to, you know, fly around the country and meet all these people. If they, you know. I don't agree with that. I don't believe that shows a substitute for traveling to visit the customers or your agents that you work with. I, I will tell you, Jay, one of the, one of the messages, uh, one of the storylines out of all shows these days is when it comes to the product and the new product, the new thing, new whatever, it's new partnerships, not necessarily new products. And so you've got 
solar flatware, for instance. You, uh, Rack has been partnered with Stozel, your company, for a few years, and now all of a sudden they've got a new partnership there. So they do they have new products? No, it's new to that partnership. Yeah, so, that it's, yeah. yeah, there's no question. But the other side of the coin is... So, and Steelite, Steelite talked about 11 companies, 3,000 new SKUs. So, I mean, and, and ARC's got new partnerships too. So, I mean... In tabletop, it's about partnerships bringing that new product. But also, a lot, a lot of the tabletop people are opening up their own showrooms across the country. So that tells yep. you something else too. Yeah. Well, the other side of the point is, is, is it's almost like trying to time the stock market. I'm not trying to talk down the, the trade show, but at the end of the day, you hold the trade show, you hold the trade show. How does that relate in any particular market to the amount of new openings that are taking place where they ain't waiting for a trade show. But, I mean, they got to get their stuff. They got to get it now from the local guy. Going to be interesting when, again, another storyline out of out of this just completed NRA show was reconnection and just reconnecting with the industry and getting the industry connected back there. What happens next time when we've been connected? I don't know. So going, going back to uh, my intro, I think that the industry needs a culinary focused event whether that's the NRA show no, I wouldn't agree with not. you. No, I wouldn't and, agree with and, you. And, and, I, and, you know, there's a lot out there, yep. but I don't know if they're of the size and nature exactly. For example, there's the, you know, American Culinary Federation has an event and the Research Chefs Association has an event. But there's really nothing that to take the place of what the NRA show used to be. And that's and that's and we and we really need something like well, that's that. That's a good point. The, and and I'm, the AFC is the AFC ever had a footprint at, at NRA? ACF. I'm sorry, American, ACF. American Culinary. Well, there, we had a partnership. In fact, I uh, created a partnership with them to create the What's Hot. Look at you creating all this stuff around. Hey, I was there. I was there a long time. I mean, listen, they ought to be there now. They they are. If you're an American Culinary Federation, they have they don't have any group presentation, but I think a lot of their members must be there. Uh, I would assume so. I see. I see. I agree. I saw one. I saw one ACF chef, and he was from Johnson and Wales. Matter of fact, he he knew my good friend Irv Schneider. But I saw very little chefs walking around in whites. Almost. I I saw one guy, but I wasn't looking for a lot of them. But and he happened to come into the booth. But I I don't know. I mean, I think the ACF should. That would bring an awful lot to the show. It really would. Are those people in individual booths now? There was a push for you know years of, of bringing in, of creating the uh, function of corporate chef where they didn't exist in a lot of places. I know I see a lot of bartenders in booths. Well, AC, ACF has their own show. I mean, I don't know if they still have it. No, no, I mean, but not all of them, obviously, but some of them representing whether it's a meat company or the Hormel. I'll pick Hormel because I kept walking by that booth all the time. But uh, I, I see bartenders in uh, in different glassware booths and stuff, and I see coffee people having a, a roaster or barista or whatever. So, I mean, I just wonder if some of those ACF chefs aren't on the floor working, but in a company booth. Well, it's a good point. They they used to be, but again, I didn't walk the show very much, but I didn't see many national food companies there i mean i i don't know if you guys did but there used to be chefs with them all the time in fact i knew a couple of them years ago but i don't know i did i, did, I didn't look for national food companies but I, as i said the hormel I, I i seem to walk by a lot i mean a, the national drink guys i mean you know the, i i don't know again i i didn't get to walk it very much so i'm probably wrong coach still had a big presence over in the in south building yes one thing that is interesting if you if you if you whittle everything back about the food service industry ultimately why do people go to restaurants they go because of the food they want it and the taste of the food and i'm being 
Really, really simplistic. And yet, if you go to the NRA show now, it's much, much, much less about the taste of the food. It's about you know efficiency, how to get it delivered faster. It's the newest machine. Yeah, yeah, exact, exactly, and and how to you know and, and all, all these all these things. And I think that the show has lost sight of what this is, what it's what it's about. Well, speaking of things like that, let's talk about the things you did see and the, what what was the impressive parts, Greg. You're a guy who's always a, you're very got a lot of curiosity going on. You probably saw some stuff that really impressed you. And I know there were a couple of things that impressed me. They weren't necessarily in the tabletop category, although I'll, I can talk about a, a, a few sort of general perceptions. But what did you see that was memorable and impressive to you? Well, I, I always enjoy the uh, area with the, all the state departments of agriculture because you have all these smaller guys, food producers, entrepreneurs bringing products out there. And it's all and it's about the kind of stuff that I was talking about is all these pickles and meats and condiments. You know, all that stuff is, is, is why I went to the show. And it's interesting that and this has happened to me at other shows also, is that with all the foods there. What ones do I really that that tasted the best and made the biggest impression? And one by was by the Washington State potato people. They're they're, they're giving away French fries. You know those. I mean, how much more sim- simple can that be? And I guess classics are classics for a reason. But if you do as from a, an attendee or a restaurant operator point of view, is if you do those kind of simple things best. It's a, a formula for winning. And that's why you go to the show, to, for, to reinforce those feelings and to seek, to seek those things out. Were there any wine and liquor people there? Because I didn't see any. Again, I didn't walk it very much. but I A lot less than there used to be. You know, I, once again, I started an event there, that, that alcohol show, and that really was whittled down. And also big vendors, exhibitors, you know, from California, California Wines, they just they weren't there they weren't there this year yeah they used to have that whole oh, going um, when i say used to five years ago they had the beverage center over on the lake in the as the sort of the entree to the lakeside yeah thing. right yeah and it had that, i even think it had different hours or something i developed that and that doesn't that didn't exist really this year yeah yeah so Jay, what impressed you besides the Stozel booth, which, by the way, looked fabulous uh, the way it was merchandised within the new rack booth, too, I thought. Yeah, we, well, you know, we had a couple of our national accounts show up, which is always exciting. But, yeah, like I say, I thought that I thought the quality of the people were good. I thought they stayed. You know, I, I kept looking around, and, all, you know, the reps that were working the rack booth and the Stozel booth and the solar booth, I mean, they, there were people staying there a pretty good long time. So, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, they must be really interested because they, they can't spend that time at every tabletop booth and they're going to get out of this show. So I think if you captured them, you probably had a, a good chance of making a great, great impression. Point. Yeah. But will they ever publish the overall numbers to say how, how it was opposed to the prior year before COVID, or the two prior years before COVID? Or is that something they keep close to the vest? No, we always we always publish them. I don't know with the new management if they will publish them or not, but we right. always used to. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. again, I mean, I I agree. I think except for one day, it was crazy busy. But everybody else said after after that, it kind of waned a little bit. I had to leave early because of my grandson's graduation, so I think I wasn't there on uh, on Monday. How was it on Monday? Was it any good day? Uh, it wasn't Sunday. Let me put it that way. Right. Right. 
Right. Uh, and Sunday was impressive, but it wasn't. Uh, Monday was not Sunday. Yeah. The thing that blew me away is there were a fair amount of people wearing masks. Not that well, it wasn't too bad at the show, but boy, back on the airlines and stuff, even though there's no mandate, a lot of people wearing masks on a plane. Oh, you weren't on my flight then. Nobody wore a mask? No. No, no, no mask. And, and everybody was shoehorned in and bitching. Well, we're all shoehorned <laughs> we're, in. We were back to normal. Yeah. No, on my flight, it was a lot of masks, a lot of masks yeah. going on. I, I'll, I'll tell you what impressed me, a uh, couple things, uh, both positively and, uh, and otherwise. And, and uh, what impressed me was, again, the optimism, the enthusiasm from the exhibitors overall. And where there were people, there were, there were, it seemed like, and, and maybe I'm just sensitive to it, so I notice it more, is people were having, I would say, engaged discussions versus that hit and run kind of mentality. Well, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yeah. There's a lot of old friends stopped by and stayed and chatted. And one thing yeah. that I wanted to bring up, not to cut you short, but I was yeah. kind of amazed. Of course, we, we got most of our agents to carry the lines I'm affiliated with were in our booth. But a real topic of conversation was the cost of traveling. And then I talked to a couple big-time tabletop suppliers, and it didn't take too long for the uh, conversation of some alternative market, marketing thoughts to take place. Because I'll tell you what, reps, reps are saying, you know what, my commission rate, you don't want to, you don't want to give me a gas stipend. I mean, that, I've never heard that conversation before from agents. Heard it from a few. Well, that even that bolsters the point that the, that a show is a good place to be efficient because it's you know in theory yeah but you're still going to fly there you're still going to pay three four hundred bucks for a hotel room I get I get it yeah I want to I want to talk in and and before we get off today I want to talk about where our industry is going and I think the rep component that that layer uh, in the supply chain I think really is a great discussion point right now. And, um, there's, there, and where that whole, not just that, but where, you know, getting your message out, getting your products from being produced to on the table and in, in the tabletop sector's case, or in the back of the, if you're, I mean, it's probably the same on the, with machinery and, and, and small wares in general and, and all that. But we're really, Jay, you and I especially see it on, from a tabletop perspective. And, and I think the tabletop, that whole how we go to market thing is really up for discussion now. And I'm not sure it's going to stay the same way it's always been. I'm not saying it's going to change a lot, it's but it's something. A lot. Something has to happen for those people to stay in place. So let's take a break and come back. Uh, we've talked about a lot of good things. Let's talk when we come back from the break. Let's talk about what disappointed, uh, you know, any disappointments you may have had. And then let's let's get into it before we get out of here today. Let's talk about uh, where we think the future is going to be in tabletop and otherwise in food service. How about that? That's great. Good. All right. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with more from the Gang of Three, Jay, Dave, and Mr. Greg, Mr. Curiosity, right back at you right after this message. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back here with the Gang of Three. We're doing the NRA show wrap-up, 
And we've talked in the first segment about him, things that we just, just saw in general and some of the things that impressed us. One of the things that impressed Greg, and he didn't bring it up in the first segment, but he did it in the break, is, Greg? A, a company called Acrylic America. Now, why did that impress you besides your daughter works there? Yeah, A-C-R- E-L-E-C. And uh, no, my, my daughter works this for This is a shameless plug segment, folks. Go no, ahead, Greg. It, it just so, <laughs> we're, we're talking about our experiences at the show. And my daughter, no, no, Eden, no, it's a great company. Uh, works uh, for a uh, communications uh, agency, Bear Icebox, of all places. Another shameless plug. I got and, yeah, and, and she introduced me to, uh, to a company there, this Acrylect. And I guess the, re- the reason I'm That's mentioning three. this. I mean, the reason I'm mentioning this Four. is because it just shows the kind of efficiencies. That, what the hell do they the simple, do? The simple things. So what they do, among other things, is they weigh products. Six plugs. So that when you go out, if you get a delivery, for example, by Uber, they will they can weigh the bag and tell you how accurate the delivery is. Really? And so those Uber guys guys are eating the fries. Well, yes, yeah, so exactly, exactly. That and happens so, more than you think. It happens in like it's a tremendous number. And so yeah. and so these guys could tell you if you ordered like two hamburgers and fries, and this through their weighing mechanism that there's two hamburgers and fries in that bag. Wow. And, and delivered it and they seal it and bam. And you go, well, how simple is that? Well, it is. The concept is simple. The execution, like everything is, is, is difficult. They make it simple. So those are the kind of little things that aren't so little that are, that the show is full, is full of that is, that's fascinating. You know, that's a fantastic deal. Yeah. It helps efficiencies tremendously. Now yep. that doesn't that doesn't cover the culinary portion that I that I really am seeking, but uh, that's an important part of the business. All right, now that we've got the, all the plugs out of the way, Greg, uh, we were <laughs> going to talk about uh, discipline. You got hammered on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Even got a plug in for Uber. That's great. <laughs> I'd love to see how that works. That's that's a, that's a hell of an idea, man. I'm telling you, we bought. I'll tell you the French fry thing. That's happened to us a bunch of times. And we yeah. don't order it a lot, but it's even even at the even at the takeout window. Yes. the errors that take place there. Well, that's the same thing. They have the scale, and it, right. and, it and, right. and it's and they it have artificial intelligence, and it measures everything. And that's uh, awesome. Yeah, that's an awesome story to tell. Okay, let's uh, let's. Uh, what were the big disappointments for you, Greg, that you saw? Well. You know, here I mentioned this technology, which is so important for the business, and and all those things. But we've lost; we're losing sight of of really the basics about what the, you know about the, about the food portion, and it's all about you know everything. It has it, it, the show is about everything else except for taste in many ways. I think that's a that's a loss, and I think that it, it, things we should and will come back to that. Mister J, any big disappointment you saw? I agree with Greg about the food thing. I mean, it you know the food stuff in a booth. If you're not a food booth, can be a challenge. But the, I remember when I the first show we did with Luigi Bormioli way back when because I, I I put them into the business. Oh, I I put them and they put me in because I was you know I wasn't in it at that time. But we sold Tanyana China and the guy on the vineyard and and, and all kinds of stuff. Of course, Italian company, right? So is Luigi. It was the most unbelievable thing. We we would. We brought a a real wheel, a full wheel of Palmer ham, a Palmer Palmer cheese 
know, Parmesan cheese from Parma. So it was a real one. And that was crazy money. And then the, the, the guy that owned the, uh, the China company had a couple of vineyards. So we brought some really super Chianti in. And, you know, we're, we're a glassware company. So we're serving the wine and cheese off of his plates and stuff. And it was a handful. But I'll tell you what, we, we, I mean, we had a lot of people. And someone might say, well, you, they would just eat, eat your cheese and drink your wine. But that really wasn't the case. We got people in that booth and really got a chance to tell the story. And that kick started the Luigi. I mean, it really did. Well, that, and that, that is exactly my point about how, you know, tabletop products, glassware is part of the whole food experience, the taste, the food, the aromas, the textures, and uh, that, comb- that combination need, needs, needs to be there. Yeah, and one thing I didn't see is like a couple of years ago, we were able to do a, a, a kind of a wine hour after the show, and I didn't see any of that. I mean, to me, I mean, having all those beautiful products in the rack booth, I'll just speak for me. It's just my opinion because it's a lot of work. But that would be a good place to say, hey, it's going to be an hour, no more than that. And, and I guess you had to get permission and take up, maybe take out a little more insurance. I don't really know. But that thing was that was great. And it was it was tons of people. And it weren't I mean, you had to kind of have a an invite, which was OK. Of course, you, you know, someone asked for a glass of wine. You're not going to turn them away. But whatever the uh, extra effort to do that. Took, took it was well worth it because boy i'll tell you what you know they got the drink out of the glass they got to see the china now they have flatware so to me i mean i think stuff like that in the booth's important yeah I, and and along that line i i think that again walking around seeing tabletop companies couple just a couple of comments on the tabletop sector in general number one i was disappointed that some people who chose not to show for whatever their reasons were, and, they, and, they, and they're certainly welcome to make any call they want. But I'd like to have the leaders at the show. And some of the leaders were not there. And you can say, well, that company's really not a leader, blah, blah, blah. But they might lead in a particular sector. Or they might be that whatever, it doesn't matter. They're well known. You should be at that show. That's a disappointment when I when I go to the show, and there are there are many of the leaders are there, but there's a few that aren't, and they're trying to do something in a hotel room or whatever they're doing. That's disappointing to me because as, as an attendee, I don't really have time to get back on a bus and go and blah blah blah, go down to a hotel and go to that one, and then do still do my time at the show. That's number one. Number two is with the tabletop sector, most of the booths are fairly static. And a J, it's what you say with the, with the cheese or whatever, uh, whatever you got going on, have something going on in there. It's again, it don't make it a three ring circus, but make it relevant and make it interesting. And I think a lot of the, a lot of what I saw, which is great, was that reconnection but, uh, going on. And that's fabulous this time around. Yeah. I mean, like uh, in our situation, I mean, to have all the refreshments that you're serving and stuff like that. I mean, we're a, we're a wine glass company. I don't, most of the time when we were doing it, I mean, not most of the time, all the time, we, we had, we would hire someone to sit behind where the coffee machine was. And if you, you could either have coffee or wine or a soda or a bottle of water. And, you know, I mean, you've got to clean a glass and you spend a little bit of money on liquor, but none of the people. I worry that the tabletop category becomes more commoditized already and is. less interesting. It already is. To the yeah. attendee. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying you got to have a three ring circus going on in your booth, but make it relevant and make it interesting, but have something besides here's my new plate. Here's my new glass. Here's my new uh, fork. Yeah, I agree. 
So anyway, that those are that, that's just a, a general comment, and I'm not picking on anybody. And the other thing I saw, interestingly enough, I saw several CEOs, several top level people, making the presentations themselves in the booth, really? and I think that's interesting too. Wow. You know, because does a couple of things. Number one, it means that they're accessible because you can you can actually talk and have a meeting, whatever, or just say hello, introduce yourself, change business, whatever card. If anybody does business cards anymore, I'd, that's another trend I want to talk about in a minute, the future. But I think it's it, it says a lot when there's education going on right in the booth by top level people. It doesn't have to be the CEO, but you get credibility, I think, as a company when you do that and as a person. So, you know, the show, like, again, I've been going for over 30 years. And in in the old days, there was trends. And these trends would show up and not that anybody planned them. But like, you know, one show, all of a sudden you go, oh, my gosh, this show is all about seafood. And then the next year, it was all about game meats. And then one year, and now the big thing is uh, imitation products like Impossible Burgers, you know, nut milks, that type of thing. But the one thing that is a trend that you can see out there is lowering costs. And I get it. You know, you know the industry has been pounded and restaurateurs are, are in, a, in a tough place. And they're just constantly looking for saving, saving a buck here or there. And you're right. So you're going to get move towards commoditization of tableware, of tabletop products. And then you're, you're racing everybody, all your competitors to the bottom. It's supposed to be going out to a restaurant is supposed to be an experience and a positive experience. And so and tabletop products are a very important part of that. When was the last time you've been to a place that actually had a tablecloth? You know, and just by having a tablecloth, you know, I know that there's a there's a there's expenses associated with that, the purchase, the cleaning, the setting of the table, all that type of thing. But those type of things make a difference. And you can see from the show that the trend is away from those things. I mean, yeah, that, you're not making a general statement on that. Like, I'm just I'm, I'm just asking that question for a reason. Well, I, that's what the show, if you went to the show, that's what you yeah, would say. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what you'd see, you know. Because I'll tell you what, I mean, you know, again, this is just my opinion. I mean, everything that we're involved with, like our distribution partner and every every product that they have is an upscale product. Even some of the stuff that they have that they're introducing. And we have some glass that would be more of a heavier duty commodity look, even though it's still crystal. But I'll tell you, I'm glad we're in the, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is mid-level to upper-level dining. I won't even say fine dining because fine dining today can be sitting at a bar with chili, which placemats, nice crystal, nice flatware, but it's in a casual setting. You're sitting here in Bermuda shorts and a nice golf shirt, whatever. It's not like you have to get all dressed up. But to Dave's point, I think I think this, this thing for, for tabletop that, that we're all involved with and we all love is, is it's starting to change a lot. It's going to change even more on how it's marketed, how it's sold. And to the point of hospitality, you want to know what? How many places, Just let's just use dinnerware for an example. How many places were selling beautiful, pretty white plates? Some didn't even have a back stamp on them. I mean, tons of stuff. I think that what's going to happen in the next 10 years regarding our products, people are going to buy from people they like more than ever. They're going to want quality, and it's going to be our jobs to find out what we've got in our lines that meet that criteria. But I also think, you know, it used to be, some people would say it was a negative. People's tally too long in your booth. I don't think in the future that's going to be a negative, especially when everybody's trying to be a one solution stop. So you can stop and you can buy flatware, China, and crystal. I think that 
it's going to be interesting to watch it. I mean, man, it could be completely incorrect on this, but you know, my my feeling is that if I can if I can get you in the booth and I got a good product that's competitively priced, and you're the kind of an operation that's looking for, you know, for that kind of product, like just take the booth we're in. It'd be pretty hard for someone to go around and go, eh, I don't really see anything I like. I don't think you could say I don't like. You know, I don't. Like what I heard more than anything else is we've got it in stock. Absolutely. That's a whole nother That ends up being a trust in a service uh, message. Absolutely. And the other thing I think that we're going to find, and I am it wouldn't be fair to mention any names, but a lot of those big, big guys that didn't show, some that showed and had mediocre presentations, I think it's changed so much where people are going to go, well, well we buy all our glass here. We buy all our dinnerware here. We, we buy this, we buy that. I think the guys that had a stranglehold on certain segments of the business started out because maybe they were they were almost the only choice and today that's not the case I mean, you can find anything you want to find at any quality level and any price level today i mean it doesn't have to have any kind of a special back stamp on it if you're shopping for the best price on on the white 12 inch plate or whatever how many places can you go so i think the relationships with companies their inventory levels i think customer service for companies are going to become massively important massively important is price less important slightly it's a great question because to me it's always important but well let me give let me just give you an example and it probably answers that i mean you can't use this example for everybody but we had a, a, a big decorator used to buy tons of glassware from another company so i got a, a phone call from the company and i didn't even know who they were pick up the phone hey i'm so and so and this is the company we run and da, 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 and i need forty two thousand double double fashion glasses well, you don't have to be a genius. Wait, wait a minute. I, I, got, them, I got them right here at my counter. No, no. 42,000 Probably. Nice. What do you do? Well, we cut them and we turn them into a piece of art. And then we, uh, sell, yeah, yeah. we sell them for 50 bucks on the internet. Terrific. My guess is, because of two seconds, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's where we used to buy them. But they don't have any and they're not getting any for X amount. I go, it just happens that I've got enough of that to fill that order. And I had to be careful that I didn't wipe out the stock. Shameless plug for Jay. Yeah, second plug. Yeah, I still got four more to catch Greg. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, but it, it, it is true. Three times as much for the product. So I'm, so I'm not sure, you know, if it, you know, I mean, if a restaurant was paying three bucks and three seventy five for for a good wine glass and now they got to pay four fifty, and we got it. No, I don't think it's going to matter. Price is always, always, always going to be quote unquote, an issue. But I think if you give people the reason, and right now inventory having stock is enough of a reason, they'll pay some pre level of premium. I don't know whether it's 1% or 30% or 300% as you just described, but there's some, I think mostly it comes back to that trust your vendor supplier, which brings up the point of, depending upon the category, who's stocking it locally for me? the dealer or the manufacturer. And I, that's another whole, maybe a series in the podcast, what roles each or everybody's going to play. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that the standard situation that was uh, where that, that at one point in time was an overwhelming factor about why you might give a, a longer price or a better deal because, Hey, they stock a ton of our stuff. That's well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but before we uh, put everybody to sleep here with all this supply chain talk, let's uh, let's get into what uh, you think the future is on some of the food trends you saw. Well, you know, I think that like the, all these imitation products, 
are, I'm not, again, I'm not denigrating them. They're very popular and there's a place for them. And I think that there's a big wave going on there right now. Uh, the imitation eggs, imitation meat, imitation burgers, imitation milk. But I think that and, and that's here to stay. But I think that things will cycle back to the real thing. And I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more, for lack of a better term, real real products and the focus on there. I think everybody right now is trying to latch on to something, you know, because they see in the marketplace, the consumer marketplace, that there's these imitation products are, are doing well in retail. So as a food service operator, I'm under the gun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to latch on to that real quick and add it to my menu. Nothing wrong with that, but I, don't, I see that as just a stopgap. And I don't see it as a long-term thing. You know, similarly, may I just say that what we're talking about about this dinnerware is instead of just getting the white plate as cheap as you can, go out there and look and, and think about it. Like Larry Deutsch, these all comes back to what we talked about in our last episode with Larry Deutsch about branding. What is it that you as an operator want to be? What do you want to project? And that is, of course, the food and the beverages, but also the tabletop. So don't don't race everybody else to the bottom with these products. Yeah, I, th I think the customer-facing activities in a restaurant really have more impact than we might all sort of admit on a regular daily basis. They're subliminal oftentimes. I mean, if you bring out a, a, a small plate and it happens to have a particular shape to it that is popular, low profile, kind of small plate, seven or eight inch plate kind of thing, maybe with a little straight wall. I don't know, maybe if I'm going to pick it up and go, wow, what a great thing. But it is subliminally changing my meal, my impression of the meal, if you bring it out on a flat white plate. Yeah, and it, and it depends. Like, it, we ate at a lovely steakhouse. And steakhouses, in my opinion, in many cases. Yep, good call, good call. Well, why... Plain white plate. Well, it's a great canvas for the steak and the sides, yada, yada. But some of those, you turn them over, there's no backstamp on them. You go, God, I wonder how. Well, they got a yeah. particular issue. The issue is that so much of that goes under the, the salamander and under the broiler that you start breaking $50 plates. It's an issue. I got to give credit to most of the tabletop people, though, the dinnerware people. A lot of color now, color right. uh, of all kinds, colors I never would have dreamt of. Yeah, where I'm going with that is you can put a nice cup and saucer on, on the table. You can put great salt and peppers on the table. This particular place had, a, I thought, a, a great bread presentation. So, you know, there's ways, depending on the on the type of operation you're running. But that but great upscale steakhouses are classics. Yeah, yeah. White tablecloth, white napkins. Yeah. But to, to, to the point of, the, of, the, of whether it's now that there, I think you got to be very careful because flatware in that environment becomes critically important. And the most, one of the more critical things is the steak knife. And this particular place had a good, a, a great steak knife. So again, there's areas where maybe you can save a little, but then there's areas depending on the kind of an operation where you, 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 you mess. I mean, can you imagine going to a place where you're paying 70 bucks for a steak and they put a, a steak knife on the thing that barely could cut butter wouldn't work. Any technology uh, trends that you guys picked up on? Again, like the stuff that I was that struck me were these solutions for simple things that you wouldn't think about. For example, like the, the example that I made with with, the, with that company was that to weigh the product going out this bag out the door because some huge percentage of the of the deliveries and the takeout is incorrect. 
So what what a great solution to a to a problem. It's a very elegant solution. So it doesn't things don't have to be, you know, overly complicated. Jay, any technology things that you you recall seeing? Uh, no, not really. The only technology thing that's happened the last few years that I absolutely hate is when you go to a, you go to a kind of a fun Mexican restaurant and your server comes over and takes care, and then they get this stupid machine that you've got to figure out if you want to play a game on it or pay your bill. Get that thing off the table. I hate it because it, because it, you instilling you maybe it helps because you engage more with your server. I don't want to use that. First of all, it's crowding the table. Get it out of here. You know. So you're not going to like the one that I saw, and that's the robots that deliver the food and everything. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. You're going to get a robot coming up the coming up a back elevator, coming to your room, and you're going to pay with your with your room key. I, I you probably can do it now, but I that that's what I, I it just stopped me in my tracks, and and then I'll just see this small, probably I'll say three feet tall, three and a half foot tall robot. And with a bunch of food inside opening up, you open it up with your room key because you have placed the order, bam, it's there. And that's all great, but the food has to taste good. And that's, of course. And, you know, and those are the, you know, that's where the big disconnect is happening right now. My favorite booth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you my favorite booth of the whole show, and then you guys to think about yours, and I, I want to hear if you've got a favorite booth. My favorite booth in the whole show was the Red Bull booth. And you say Red Bull, it must have been a huge move. They were doing the uh, Formula fire One tire change from Pitt. And, and again, it goes back to how interesting that was. And yeah, it's it was interactive, cool. watch it. You know, am I going to drink more Red Bull because of it? No, but it was cool as hell. And people were getting their picture taken, it, people were filming it, they were doing all kinds of kooky stuff with it. And that's what I mean about how, keeping it relevant, keeping it interesting, and, uh, and, 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 you know, just making the show memorable for things. How about you guys? Any favorite booths? Well, I liked uh, Olympia, which was the um, the gyros and the uh, and the uh, shawarma and those sandwiches, which is very you know just because it's such a simple product, but they were and they were very generous giving it the way they gave it out the samples, but but it's very memorable because. It's very simple, but it tastes really good, you know. And oh, and and I mentioned before the French fry guys from Washington State. How much more simple can that possibly be? There was no gimmicks, and yet you just go up there, and that's and it, it, it was great, and it left a good lasting impression. Who doesn't love a good French fry? Exactly. Jay? Yeah, you already stole it. Was the Red Bull thing? Thing impressed oh, yeah. me about that. I was mean, I, I, well, besides the Stozel booth, which is always the most impressive. I don't know. I mean, that. But the red, I mean, the thing that blew me away about that, we watched Formula One cars on TV and these guys running around, they're carrying these tires like they were nothing. Yeah. You see the size of those tires, those slicks? Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I don't even think I can pick one up. But anyway, I, I, you know, I think those kinds of things, they're sort of what makes this trade show kind of the trade show. It is is a little carnival-like, I give you that, but it's, make it fun. The trade show, you know, I I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. Once the reconnection, once that reconnection kind of honeymoon is over, don't have a boring. Don't have a boring show. Well, the trade show is the trade show, but what intrigues me the the most is what is going on in our industry under the roofs of the restaurants on the street. I mean, we went we went to a place that I've never heard of in Chicago for for we were invited to an event, and a little bit out of the way, we sat down and. It was a nice place. The food was awesome. And was it a blown away 
decor or was it really expensive? I don't think so. But we met people there that were just so engaging. And I think that the, the hospitality business is going to get more and more. The word hospitality is going to get seriously scary because I think everything's expensive no matter what you're going for. If you're not going to a place where the service isn't outstanding, the people that you talk to are not you're engaging. Going. Forget it. And that's going to that's going to come. You won't, you won't necessarily bring it up, but you just won't ever go back. And you'll tell a bunch of people not to go there. Yeah. I mean, you, you can get away with maybe not having the best tablecloth sometime or whatever, but you cannot get away from the best service and the best people. People don't go to bars. They go to bartenders. That that whole thing is going to get crazy. Got to be friendly. Got to smile once in a while. I'll tell you, I'll, put, I'll do a shameless plug. Yep. I stayed at the Marriott Hotel. I got to tell you, my housekeeper, her name is Patricia on my floor, by the way. And she said, Mr. Dave, Nice to see you again. Have a great day. She remembered my name. I, I, I'm like stunned. <laughs> you know, and that that yeah. is interesting to me, that kind of engagement from a housekeeper who, you know, they they don't need to do that. It's hospitality. She's just yeah. not serving food, but she is taking care of your room. That's pretty serious, too. I mean. Okay. We're going to great session, guys. I want to tell all our listeners, if you had a great moment or a favorite moment or a big disappointment, at the show. Let us know. Send us an email. You know where to find us. We're everywhere. But it's been another great session of every other Thursday. Thanks, guys. Uh, Appreciate your time today. And uh, any last comments? Looking forward to where this is all going. It's very exciting. Yeah, it is going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, guys, have a good holiday weekend coming up. Uh, Enjoy, and we'll be back at you. It's Dave, Greg, and Jay with every other Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.